Imagine for a moment, it's 1985 and you just got home from school and are so excited because your favorite teen magazine just came in the mail. This is your lifeline to what's happening out there in culture. So you grab it and you flip through it and you see your favorite actresses and models who are all thin and white and blonde. You see lots of advertising for cigarettes and diet food. And you take a quiz to see what a boy is looking for in a girlfriend. You cut out your favorite articles and images, and then you use them as wallpaper for your bedroom. You might not realize it at the time, but you're surrounding yourself with images of beauty that somebody else created. Stories of beauty that somebody else wrote. That was me. I was this child in the 80s, spending my days reading those magazines, but they sparked questions for me. Questions like, how do they decide who they feature as beautiful in these magazines? And how do I get a hold of that kind of power and influence? Fast forward to my 20s, when I actually became a health editor at a teen magazine, and I began to see firsthand what a powerful role the media plays in shaping the self-esteem and confidence of young girls and women. And certainly while our media platforms have expanded and changed since then, I'm talking to you, social media, the power of influence is stronger than ever. In fact, recent research tells us that two in three girls in the U.S. are spending more than an hour a weekday on social media, which is more than they spend with their friends. I'm Jess Wiener, and in today's episode of Let's Change Beauty, I'm speaking with Kayla Greaves, executive beauty editor at InStyle. As a prolific journalist within the beauty space, Kayla is an advocate for challenging and changing the beauty messages that young girls and women are facing today, and she's helping us all to rewrite our own beauty stories. Let's dig in. Kayla, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I wanted to start actually in your formative years of growing up. I'm always curious about this with people, but what kind of media helped to shape your beauty standards as a girl growing up? I think as a girl growing up, uh, a lot of television. I was definitely a TV watcher. Yeah. Um, I loved entertainment. I loved movies. I loved films. So I was watching a lot of that. And I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me. Um, it existed. It was around. There was definitely the era of black sitcoms in the 90s, but the majority of television programming or even just like newscasters or things like that. My parents yeah. used to watch a lot of news and entertainment tonight. Uh, they were white. They didn't look like me. They were white and blonde. So there was not a lot of representation. So I always thought of whiteness and blondness and thinness mm -hmm. as the benchmark of beauty growing up. I did too. I think I grew up in a slightly, the generation right before. And for me, it was magazines and it was television for sure. But for me, I had TV with like four channels. That was it. I had to watch all the commercials. I couldn't fast forward anything. You know, as well, I saw kind of the centering on uh, on whiteness, on thinness, on um, a certain yeah. kind of way of being beautiful, which was always about kind of the consumption for other people, like being beautiful for somebody else, not necessarily exactly. beautiful for us. I'm curious outside of media for you growing up, what were the other messages you might have gotten about beauty from family, friends, community? I'm curious if those definitions were ever at odds for you. Yes and no. From the messaging that I had, it was like, you you were never right. There was mm. always something that was wrong. It was always like, well, you're too thin. Oh, wait, stop eating. You're getting too big or your face looks too fat or, you know what I mean? It yeah. was always just, you were never enough. Um, yeah. And so it was like, I was constantly striving to be 
enough? And like, what, what does that even mean? Right. But at the time when, you know, you're young and you're still finding yourself, you don't know who you are yet. You're just striving for people to like you and accept you rather than learning to accept yourself. Yeah. I also grew up in a family where my mom was a real chronic dieter. And so I think for me, it was like watching her relationship to beauty had a big trickle down effect for me, but I loved media more than her. And while I had some of those toxic messages at home, I like really dove in hard to who I saw on the screen. Um, And I'm curious for you, as you've now built this incredible career in the media, was that always an aspiration? What were you imagining you would be doing in this space? And did you imagine you'd be working in this space? Yeah, um, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do in media, but the fact that I'm now in beauty is kind of a full circle moment. So really, as I mentioned before, I grew up not seeing a lot of representation. I also grew up, grew up in a predominantly white town. Mm. Um, so there was nobody who really looked like me around me aside from my immediate family. So I was always the one at school who was told you're ugly, your lips are too big, your hair is too weird, your skin is too dark, even though I'm very fair skinned. Um, it was just always everything about me naturally was a problem. And then when I fell into beauty, it was kind of like, an unpredictably full circle moment. I went into it just because I liked it. And then I realized like, wow, I have this platform that I can now shift the narrative. So the next generation of girls coming up don't have to feel like how I feel. They'll have something in the media. And a lot of black women who are in media these days have the same kind of upbringing. Um, And they wanted to make that difference. They wanted to create more representation. So the next generation of girls don't feel as though, you know, they're othered because of their natural features. Yeah. I could only imagine hearing that harsh critique and body bullying and appearance bullying has its impact on you. I read in an interview that you sort of bravely shared about and being open about struggling with body image. Can you talk a little bit more about that in your formative time and kind of the impact of those aggregate um, messages? Because I think as as young girls, we're, we're like this receptacle for all of these messages coming in and without the skills to critically think about them or the to buffer them, which is so hard, it lands as our so inner hard. narrative, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I really embodied it. Like I really thought yeah. I was ugly. I thought that my hair was horrible. I thought that everything about me was an issue and I really mm. embodied it. And I believed it for a very long time. And then when I got to a different stage in my life, I think I got to like high school and there were more black people around me. Mm. And then, you know, people would start to say like, oh, like you're pretty near this thing. And then I was like, what? Like it took me a very long time to even accept compliments. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so me even getting to a point now where I'm like confident and I like how I look and I accept my body. And, you know, there's still days when you have your thing. Sure. Um, it's, it's a huge accomplishment for me to even get here because I didn't grow up with that. You know, and a lot of the times your childhood and your teenage years, that's the tone for your adulthood. So to be able to get through to the other side of that, like I'm holding on to that for dear life. Oh, yeah. I, I think the those formative years become your inner monologue. I talk about them a lot as dominant stories. They're the stories I tell myself all the time, whether they're true or not. It's that narrative that is kind of nonstop. Yes. I'm curious about the space of beauty for you professionally and coming from the history that we've just kind of established and kind of the incredible lack of representation. And then also these very like caustic vitriolic bias messages that you get as you're building your career and coming up in this industry. Do you remember a moment 
uh, in your work where you really saw your power to start to change the narrative around beauty? Is there a moment that you yeah. recall that that really you were like, oh, my gosh, the power is in my hands now? There are actually two moments that strike out. Yeah. So uh, the first one was I did a package called Good Hair, and it was all about 4 hair, which is often deemed as bad, unmanageable, yada, 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 whatever. When I put that package out, the amount of feedback I've got from women saying like, wow, it is so nice to see my hair mm. being shown in an attractive, positive light. That yeah. was the first one. The second one is when I did uh, the Beauty of Blackness documentary. Somebody had emailed me from a brand and saying that they are going to rethink um, how they market their foundation products based on something I said there about, you know, just um, colors always going from the light being the first one and the yes. dark being the last one. And so they said, they're going to flip the script. And I was like, that is impact. And that is why I do what I do. Yeah. That's incredible. I think about that a lot. I think that's a really beautiful point to kind of sit on, which is like where we still center beauty stories and where we still focus on, like you said, lightness as the default or whiteness as the default. I think we also yeah. do that with size. We often start with like the extra small or, you know, small, and then we go. And I think you've seen brands now kind of flip the script a bit, right? And widen that canon. But historically, because I've also, I think you and I might've been really kindred spirits as kids. But I remember in my absorption of media, it was very clear to me that there was still this ideal of perfection that magazines in particular and media outlets in my generation, and I still think today, kind of tout perfection as the norm, right? Yeah. The aspirational place to be. And I'm curious as you you know, gain more power, have this influence. If you ever have to reconcile with working inside of an industry that sometimes can kind of eat itself a bit, you know, it, like we have lots of messages coming out and they can be contradictory. I remember I was a health editor at a teen magazine for a while and it yeah. killed me at times, the kinds of mixed messages we would, we would send. And so I wrestle with that thin line and I'm curious if you do too. I mean, of course, but at the same time, I can only be responsible for myself and what I put out there into the world and what, you know, I try to influence. I, I mean, regardless if it's me or if it's somebody else or if it's, you know, a million other publications, there's always going to be mixed messaging. Yeah. But I have to just know that um, as an editor, I'm being responsible for myself and for what I'm bringing out to audiences and what I want people and women and, and Black people to read and whoever mm -hmm. um, to read um, based off of, you know, what I wanted to share with the world. So yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a push and a, and a pull, but at the end of the day, you can really only control what you can control and nothing is going to be perfect. And you just yeah. put things out in the world and hope that people will, um, absorb the positive things more so than the negative. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And also you help with all the work that you put out in the world. You help to build critical mass for more content, right? So that's, yeah. in my mind too, that's how I that's how I sit with it. I'm like, I'm going to help normalize by continuing to contribute to a new narrative. Exactly. Right? And and don't stop. Um, in your experience in receiving feedback that you've gotten for the work that you've put out there, and I know you speak a lot, you know, you're out hearing lots of women's stories. Can you speak a little bit to what you've just firsthand witnessed as the impact of these really stringent and exclusive beauty standards on women? What have you seen that the impact be to self-esteem and confidence for women and girls? It's been like brainwashing. Mm. Uh, people really believe that there's something wrong with them if they don't look like they have an Instagram filter on naturally. And that's frightening and it's alarming and it's scary. And you know, especially for younger girls, again, who don't have maybe a sense of self yet, it's very scary because it's it's not realistic. 
there are always going to be things, but I do think back in the day, like 90s, early 2000s, it was a little bit more realistic, the standards that we saw. Now it's yeah. like, you know, we're seeing standards that you literally have to get surgery or procedure done in order to get those things, yeah. right? Like people are starting to look a little bit charactery. I feel like everybody's starting to look like this. Everybody same looks face. the same. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whereas before there was like individuality, yeah. like it's yeah. not to say that, you know, like skinniness was always the benchmark, right? but everybody had kind of their own look and their own thing and their yeah. own whatever. But now it's like, we've all just kind of morphed into this one yeah. thing. Yes. And it's a little bit frightening, you know? Yeah. It's frightening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think about that too. Sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm scrolling online now and I'm looking at people and I'm like, wait, is that her? I thought that was her. And so I see all these very similar yeah. features, which I mean, I guess if we were to historically look back at beauty patterns, we know that we cyclically go through this, right? We've got certain things that we love to accentuate and praise in beauty. And then that changes. And I'm old enough to know and see like, multiple decades of beauty changes happening. But what I love about yes. now, maybe even different than when I grew up where media was definitely not as democratized, Kayla. Like I didn't have a choice as a young girl to put my own content out like young girls do. I mean, I had to take whatever a magazine editor or a TV producer was giving me. Yeah. I didn't have any of that power. And now with social media being democratized, I'm curious how you experience the beauty conversation erupting online because you've got lots more voices uh, that are able Absolutely. to participate now. I mean, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because on one side, you get to see people embracing their individuality. So while there's a whole right. side of people that kind of all look the same, there's a lot of people who are just saying, who are rebelling against that narrative and saying, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to look yep. how I want to look. And this is just me and I'm putting it out there and that's the end of it. Um, but then on the other side, it's just, you see this whole, like everybody's kind of morphing into one. Mm. So it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic that point. you see, but now I will say that, you know, people do have the choice to do something else other than what the norm may be. The, the issue is that they have to search for it, but they have that option. Um, versus before, like you said, it was just kind of like, we were all reading the same magazines yep. and watching the same television shows. We didn't have an option to look at something different unless we traveled or we knew yeah. we had a community that we knew in real life. Now it's like you can find your tribe online and you can yeah. find almost anybody online who you can relate to. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. yeah. And you bring up a really good point too, because that's really like the algorithmic part of what we get on our social media feeds, right? Like the more we consume a certain kind of content, the more we get that content. And so sometimes we do have to search consciously to find folks that will speak to the things that we care about. What I really have loved and appreciated watching social media bloom and not having grown up with it as a teenager is I can only imagine 12-year-old Jess with like the unruly hair that I didn't know what to do with and like, you know, um, kind of being really ethnically ambiguous and getting lots of comments from people and like just trying to figure out where I fit. The idea that I could have created a platform or a voice or seen more people like you and other folks online that I could have had a sense of community that I didn't have growing up in that way. And yeah, so you're exactly. right. That makes me excited, I guess, for the future. Um, I'm curious, you know, because I was thinking in, in anticipation of this conversation, I'm like, anytime I get to talk to somebody who works in beauty or fashion, we always tend to talk about how sometimes there's a stereotype about these industries because they tend to feel stereotyped as being vapid or, you know, not important or frivolous in that way. But I think there is such a massive power in in beauty to tell new stories and also to redefine 
what we see and experience as beautiful. And so I don't obviously think that there's, um, you know, inherent negativity to caring about beauty, but I'm curious to hear from you as somebody building and working in this space, what's the power of reclaiming your beauty story or rewriting your beauty story? Like what, what is the power that you see a conversation around beauty being able to have out in the world? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is, is if you feel good about yourself, you're going to feel good and you're going to feel empowered to do everything else that you need to do. It really starts with you. Um, so being able to like take hold of your own beauty narrative, you're really rebelling against everything that you have been told your entire life. And you're saying, you know what, I'm going to think a little bit differently about this and I'm going to take charge of how I feel and make my own decision because everybody is making these decisions for us. This is the lipstick we should wear. This is how you should style your hair. This is what's in. This is what's out. And you're like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to do this for myself. And that is so powerful. And I think, you know, it may not be a tangible thing. And maybe that's why people think it's vapid or it's frivolous or it's whatever. But how you feel about yourself internally is so important because if you don't oh, feel yeah. good, you can't do anything else well. Right. Right. And just because you can't see and touch and feel those emotions doesn't mean it's not important. It's actually very important. So I will always, you know, carry that flag for beauty. Yeah, I will too, because I think for me, it's been the transformation of being a little girl and wanting to be beautiful, like we talked about, for somebody else and or for somebody to approve. And then I think my arc as a human and as certainly as a woman, uh, you know, acculturated in this society has been reclaiming that to say, what do I find beautiful about myself? And how do I how do I navigate my inside and my outside matching and coming together? Because for so long, I was only focused on the outside. I, you know, also struggled with body image and eating disorders. And the emphasis was always on a physical aspiration of beauty. But there's so much when you've lived a life, isn't it? Like you have really, I feel more beautiful with the more earned and learned wisdom I have under my belt. Yes. Do you feel yes. similarly? hundred. Oh my God. A hundred percent. People want to like chastise women for turning 30. Yeah. And it's like, no, 30 is like good. 30 is like when you start to gel into yourself and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to do me. Yeah. And I heard 40 is even better. It is. And I heard it just keeps getting better <laughs> from that. The more you live and the more wisdom you've gotten, yeah, it just keeps getting better. You just keep feeling better yeah. about yourself. And the more you just let go of what people have taught you and told you that you have to do. Like people want to say that, you know, when you're in your twenties, you're in your prime and blah, blah, blah. And like maybe in some ways, but the knowledge that I have now as an older person is yep. not the, is not what I had when I was in my twenties. Right. No. I was so naive back then. And it's just, that's just where you are in your life. But I feel so much more empowered and just better and sexier and happier yep. now that I'm, you know, past that decade. Yes. I feel like I've integrated and I would say I am in the decade of my forties. And I, I would say it's the most fun and aliveness I have felt where things get integrated, that. you know, where all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, that's why I had to learn that lesson. Or obviously yeah. I'm, I'm committed to helping the next generation shift their narrative. And I can really speak to it from a place of authenticity and not just like rah, rah language. Like I really yes. am, am living it, you know, but it's funny that, you know, you also kind of mention um, kind of the, the evolution around age. And I actually think that's super interwoven with beauty standards too, because we are obsessed with youth and a lot of, you know, beauty is in the pursuit of staying young, 
But I'm curious what your take is, again, for maybe a trend forecasting space. And just as you're watching things move in the beauty world, I think we're obviously, we're moving towards more natural acceptance of age, of our hair texture, of our skin texture, of like, of really this age of acceptance. And maybe I'm hoping that also includes age, but I'm curious what you're seeing and what you're looking out in, in the future and, and hoping to see more of. The term anti-aging and the anti-aging thing is never yeah. going to go away anytime soon. It sells at the end of the day and people right. want that. But I am starting to see a shift towards um, not necessarily anti-aging, but just looking your best for where you are mm. and looking your best on your own terms. I'm really starting to see the shift of just looking your best for where you're at and not trying to look 13 when you're 45. Right. I don't want to look like a teenager. Right. <laughs> right. I feel like I look better now than right, I ever did, right? right? So I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to be 19 again. I don't want to look 25 again. I want to look where I am. Yeah. I just want to look the best for where I'm at. And I'm really starting to see a, a shift with that. And I also think in um, a lot of advertisements as well, we're starting to see more of that too. Um, we're starting to see supermodels from back in the day coming oh, yeah. back and doing campaigns and cover girls and older women in, in ads. And so it's, it's starting to change. We're starting to realize like, you know what? Life doesn't just, you don't just blow up when you turn 30. No. In the media, <laughs> they, it sort of looks like we all fall off a cliff when we hit 40 or 45. Like we all sort of disappear. But I love, you're right. I love the taking up of space of all different kinds of earned and learned lived experiences. Like I eat those up yes. now the way I used to eat up all the beauty trends as a kid. Like now I can't get a, enough of, of real life role models and and folks. And I'm, I'm happy that yeah. you mentioned kind of finding beauty where you're at, because when I think about the power of rewriting your beauty story, it is not having the same narrative that you had as a teen. And maybe, you know, and at least in our examples, let's say where, you know, we both maybe had these experiences of, of struggling with body image, like that's not the story I tell anymore. And it's taking me a long time to rewrite that story. Um, and so I love the idea that we can meet ourselves where we are and redefine beauty for the place that we're at in our life right now. Absolutely. And you can continue to redefine it. Yeah. You can make it into whatever you want it to be. I always tell people it's your life and you make the rules. Like nobody else can tell you what you should do with you. Like if, I, I mean, I've had points where I've shaved my head off. That's a dream of mine. How did that feel? <laughs> It was honestly very empowering is when yeah. I first, I think it was my second year of college. I was just like over it and I did it and it was wow. very empowering and it was also very easy. Wow. I may do it again one day. <laughs> right now I'm loving the long hair and yeah. I'm having a protective style right now and I'm, I'm loving that. Yeah. But I may get to a point where I just shave my head off. You know right. what I mean? And that's what I think is, is beautiful for me right now. That's what right. I want to do. Right. Um, so I don't think that there's any limit on how many times you can redefine yourself redefine your look, redefine what you think of as beautiful. It's literally your life. You are in the driver's seat. So make it whatever you want it to be and make sure that you feel good while doing it. See, I love to know that you and a, and, and a human like you is in the space of talking about beauty and mainstream culture. I think that's so incredibly exciting. It's empowering. I'm curious Two things. First thought is, what do you think like 13-year-old Kayla would make of where you're at right now? Like, what would she say to you and what would you say to her? I would tell her like, relax, it's going to be fine. <laughs> and she would probably not believe that I would be here. She was, yeah. 13-year-old Kayla was a mess. Mm -hmm. uh, a good mess. Mm -hmm. A mess that was going to be, you know, swiffered up and cleaned up and <laughs> repurposed. Uh, but I was, I was not in a 
great place and I was 13 I didn't feel great about myself yeah. I wasn't happy I was like an awkward you know teenage phase but I don't think I would believe that I would be here yeah it's unbelievable when you yeah. look back at your life and you look back at the periods and the things that you went through and then you look where you are now and you're like I can't believe I'm here right but you're here and again I would just tell my younger self like you're going to be fine like don't worry about it mm. stop worrying about <laughs> anything <laughs> you're I fine know. It's... you have a free place to live <laughs> You would tell your 13-year-old, just wait, you get to pay rent one day. <laughs> oh, my God. And bills, and, and they bills. just don't stop. No, for <laughs> sure. And then what would you say to a young woman, uh, and especially a young Black woman looking to enter into the beauty space? Is there a piece of advice now, having weathered some of the things that you've weathered and built this beautiful career that you're building, that you would offer to the next generation of beauty editors coming in and coming up? Absolutely. Listen to your gut. You know your own story. You know what you're talking about. There's going to be a lot of people that tell you, you don't know, or this is not going to work, or that's not going to work, or whatever. If you know, and this is not to sound corny, but if there is a story in your heart, <laughs> tell mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Because there is somebody who wants to read it. There is somebody mm. who can relate to it. If you have gone through an experience, chances are other people have gone through it too. Even me and you, very yep. similar upbringings. Yep. But it's just, there's going to be somebody who can relate to your experience and it's going to change their life to be able to read it, mm. uh, to be able to read a physical story of it. So tell your story, you know, stick to your guns and trust your gut. If you feel like something is the right thing to do and it's the right story to tell, tell it. I love that. Amen. Tell your own story. Be truthful with that story. And then I would also add, and let's not be afraid to rewrite it when it no longer fits. Exactly. You don't have to be one thing for your whole life or feel one way for your whole life. And I know it's a little bit weird now with social media because it's like, if you change your perspective, it's like, oh, but, but you said on like July yeah. 13, 2000 right. and blah, blah, blah. Just because there's like a record of things you've tweeted or things you've said or whatever, that doesn't mean you can't change your mind later. Also, sometimes you just don't need to put things online. Yes. That's yes. another piece of advice too. <laughs> you don't have to share everything with everyone. Yes. I know it's hard because it feels like everybody's just sharing their whole life online. But you can keep things to yourself yes, and share it later or just not share it at all. Well, that's a great addendum to the tell your story. Then maybe it's also be careful <laughs> where you tell your story. So last question is just as you think about the power of rewriting your relationship and story to beauty, um, what would be the one big takeaway that you have at this point in your life? The one big thing that you're proudest of and how you've rewritten your story? The fact that I've created beauty on my own terms and the fact that I have mm. gotten to a point where I accept myself for who I am. It's not to say that I'm like, I know everything, blah, blah, blah. But like, I trust myself enough to know that if I go to somebody and they're telling me one thing and I know in my gut that it's not right, or I don't feel like that's the right thing for me or whatever, whatever the case may be, I trust myself, right? Mm. I know what works for me. I know it looks good for me. I know it makes me feel beautiful and nobody can take me off that path and off that road. I'm so comfortable in myself. And that took a very long time to get to, mm -hmm. but I'm here and I'm going to stay on this road. And that is indeed beautiful. Thank you so much for this conversation. I was so looking forward Thank to you. it. You did not disappoint. I'm so happy <laughs> to be with you. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was such a lovely conversation. 
Thanks for listening to Let's Change Beauty, a podcast powered by the Dove Self-Esteem Project. Dove believes beauty can and should be a source of confidence, not anxiety. And our goal is to build the body confidence and self-esteem of a quarter billion girls by 2030. You can go to dove.com slash let's change beauty to watch Dove's new film called Toxic Influence and learn how to help a young person in your life better navigate social media. On our next episode, we're talking to Kelly Uchima, content creator and body positivity advocate about how she's reclaiming her social media feed to combat racial stereotypes and to help her followers feel good online and off. Thanks so much for being here. And don't forget to write a review wherever you're listening. It really helps us out.